0: All right. How you doing, everybody? Casey Ryan here again for another episode of The Cutting Room Floor, a little podcast that I started to showcase in the entertainers and creative types from all walks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I'd like to say if you've got a story to tell or project to sell, then I want to hear from you. Uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at MRB or shoot me an email with your feedback, good, bad, or ugly, cuttingroomfloor.mrb at gmail.com. Uh, let me know what you're thinking. If you've got a project to promote, you know, you've got a crowdfunding campaign getting going, uh, I'm happy to help you get the stories out there the best way that I can. Uh, I'm still doing the shows primarily on Sundays, but I'm also, because of... Uh, you know, everybody's spending a little bit more time at home. I've actually seen a bit of a boost in terms of the demand for interviews, and I'm I'm happy about it. all kidding aside, because uh, I love doing the show, uh, you know, circumstances aside and, and everything. But uh, I am going to be occasionally not every week but i'll be doing one or two you know during the course of the week on usually on wednesday nights so if you guys you know want to come on here there's plenty of room for everybody uh, so quick thank you as we do at the top of the show to give credit where it's due uh, Lori george is a long-standing supporter and uh, and friend of the cutting room floor she set me up on dozens of interviews over the years uh and one of the best introductions that she made uh, to me, it was a few years ago when when uh, she said, Well, I got a friend Ken Mary who uh is being is interested in kind of uh being on your show and Ken's been back here several times in fact and and he's one of the few people that uh, I can honestly like, claim to that i've I've met in person. He was up here on tour with uh one of the bands that he was working with flotsam and jetsum and uh you know, we met for lunch one day. So, uh, I'm proud to call him a friend. Uh, he's out of the Arizona area. He's a prolific drummer and a sound engineer and a producer. Uh, he's. Uh done work with such uh, high-level bands as House of Lords and Bonfire and Alice Cooper and Fifth Angel and all kinds of other groups as well. And in addition to which, he uh, also helps to run a couple of different sound organizations uh, called uh, Sonic Fish and VSR uh, Music Group. So he's here today to catch up on a bunch of different things, and we will get his take on some stuff as well. Uh, so without further ado, coming to floor proudly, welcome back Ken Mary. Ken, how you been? I've been very good. How about you, Casey? I'm, I'm hanging in there, one day at a time. It's it, it's a weird world these days. I can tell you that. <laughs>
1: right. So. Yeah, it's definitely different. You know, for us too. You know, we have entire tours uh, canceled and postponed, and and entire summer festivals. We were really looking forward to the summer festival season in Europe, and that's been completely obliterated. So, yeah, it's it's a different world for everyone right now.
0: Well, I I mean, how immediate was the impact for you in in terms of that? Like, did did it come in kind of all at once that that a lot of these days weren't going to be happening? Or or were people waiting and seeing as long as they possibly could?
1: Well, it was a little bit of both. I mean, I think the writing was on the wall fairly quickly. Uh, I think pretty much um, within probably by you know, mid-April, everybody was kind of aware that, okay, that, you know, this is going to be a a problem for a while. So everything was pretty much at that point pushed to 2021. I saw that there were a few bands like the Motley Crue Tour, you know, they were still talking about, oh, we're going to try and do it. We're going to try and do it. And I'm thinking that's just not going to happen. And sure enough, they had to cancel and postpone it to 2021 as well. So pretty much all the major festivals did that. All of our touring uh, was was postponed to 2021. So uh, I think it's kind of a kind of a done deal. And, you know, but it's, in terms of how long that took to happen, it was fairly immediate, I would say, you know, definitely within the first, you know, 30 days of, of uh, you know, really, I think I'm trying to remember when they declared it a pandemic, but certainly it was very shortly thereafter that everything was shut down.
0: And I would have to imagine. I mean, like you, you mentioned, you know, Europe. but I mean, all countries have their own different regulations. But I mean, everybody's basically going from the same playbook. That until things get visibly better, that and safer. That, that I mean, it's it's really sad. You know, in, ter- in terms of live entertainment, I guess how how does it rebound after a situation like this? Or are there any answers really?
1: Well, I'm not really sure how it's going to rebound. I think the people that will be impacted the most, I don't think record companies are going to be impacted that much just because I think people will still be listening to music and streaming music and all of that. But I think in terms of, you know, the booking agencies and promoters, you know, those are the ones that really um, got hit. I'll give you a good, for instance, we were supposed to leave. um, I'm trying to remember the date, but we were going to do the up the hammers festival in Greece and the, the, um, we pulled out of the show on a Friday because we knew, you know, we saw what was happening. We had a couple guys in the band that weren't feeling well. And, you know, if you have a fever or anything, they'll quarantine you. And we didn't want to get stuck in a foreign country or somewhere like Turkey or anything like that, you know, with somebody being ill. So right. we, we canceled on that Friday, but they can't, They the Greece actually ended up canceling the show. Uh, or pretty much all shows the next Thursday. So they were planning on, you know, the, the poor promoter was trying to make it happen. And we knew it wasn't going to happen. I mean, we knew that, you know, this is this is not something that, you know, you can just kind of push under the rug. And, and so he was really trying to make it happen. And we just said, you know, look, we, we know this isn't going to take place. And. So it's a good thing we did cancel when we did, uh, because at least that gives you a little heads up for the airlines and that kind of thing. But but uh, that shows you how close. I mean, we were, we could have been stuck in Europe for weeks, um, which would have been a you know kind of a, a small disaster. So, you know, I think for the promoters it'll it'll be tough. It'll take them some time to recover for sure. Uh, I think bands, you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I think there's a lot of businesses, not just entertainment industry, but regular businesses, especially things like restaurants, they're going to have a tough yeah. time.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, they're even talking movie theaters, too, right? Like uh, AMC is doubting that they're going to be able to make it out of this in one piece. Yeah, so.
1: which is interesting because I would have guessed that they probably weren't doing all of that great of business to begin with myself. I mean, with the advent right. of the home theater and... You know, we, we my wife and I used to go out to watch movies all the time. And, you know, even before this, I mean, we really weren't doing that nearly as much. So I would imagine that that impact is something that, you know, they've been seeing for a while. But maybe now this sort of just sort of accentuates that decline.
0: So the last time I, uh, I spoke with you, you, you were actually, you know, in my corner of the world uh, in, in Montreal on tour with, uh, with Flotsam and Jetsam. And I, I was just wondering um, maybe if we can pick up a thread, you know, where that left off. I, I guess, how did the rest of the tour go? And, and are you still working with the guys? And uh, I, I understand that there's, uh, there's kind of a new album in the works or something along those lines.
1: Yeah, actually, the rest of the tour went went fantastic. You know, we had a we had a very good tour. And uh, it was financially successful. And you know, the the crowds were great. And everything went well. And um, we were really looking forward to continuing that, you know, with the with the festival season and all that. Um, So, you know, we'll see. I mean, we're supposed to be back in 2021. But yeah, I'm, I'm still touring with the band and we're working on a new album right now for AFM records. And uh, we're actually getting pretty close to, to wrapping that up. So it's it's pretty exciting. I mean, I think it's going to be a great album. You know, it's it's hard to, you know, it, you always have feelings about a record and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong because, you know, you can think one thing, but the fans have to like it. But I really do think the fans are going to love the album. It's It's really... I think it's it's one of the strongest plots of meldons yet,
0: and that's got to be a challenge for you too to, to be innovative but familiar at the same time when you're coming out with new material because on the one hand you're marketing it for for the fans but on the other hand I mean the the pressure is to provide new material
1: right? Yeah, that's you really you know that's definitely an astute observation. You you really do walk a fine line between wanting to give them something a little bit new and maybe the boundaries of what you've done a little bit but at the same time it can't be so far that they don't recognize the the material or the artist anymore and that's that definitely can be a challenge for sure
0: uh and i understand that they, that uh, that was kind of a bit of a reunion for you guys of sorts right that that uh you became you know you had a sudden surge in popularity that you hadn't necessarily anticipated and, and you were talking to me about uh, the european market specifically
1: well yeah the european market especially for bands like flotsam and Jetsum and I, I have my high school band was a band called fifth angel that was on epic records epic cbs and we put out two albums in the late 80s early 90s and uh Europe, the European market really never waned. I mean, the band's always been popular up there, and we put, put together some demos a couple of years ago and ended up getting signed to Nuclear Blast, which is the biggest metal label in Europe, and put out a record called The Third Secret. And, you know, it was definitely really well-received critically. And, uh, you know, so we're actually starting to work on material for a new, uh, a new album for that band as well. Why is it that
0: you think the, uh, the markets are so different, I, I guess? I, are the, the, the audiences fundamentally that much different? Is it a question of taste? I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious because I've, I've been to Europe several times myself.
1: I, I'm not really sure, but if you look at, you know, the huge festivals, things like, you know, Vaken and Alcatraz and, and Sweden Rock and all these different massive rock festivals that they have over there, Um, they're all metal artists that you would know from, you know, as many as 30 years ago, uh, some newer metal artists, for whatever reason, the metal scene in Europe never really died out. And and it kind of did to a large degree in the United States. And I'd say probably around the, you know, mid nineties, the end of the nineties, you know, when NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and all of that started taking off. I mean, it's sort of, you know, kind of killed what I would call metal. Uh, and when I say metal, I don't mean like, you know, pop rock metal. I mean like actual metal, <laughs> like things like, you know, Flotsam and Jetsam is a metal band. They're not, you know, like a, uh, like when I think, you know, sometimes people think of metal and they think of a, an artist like me, you know, a Skid Row or something like that. Uh, but but I, when I say metal, I mean like actual, you know, real, you know, a little bit harder edge, harder core metal that never really died out in Europe and... They, there certainly seems to be a huge market for it. And if you look at some of those huge festivals like Bakken, they'll attract 80,000 people over a couple of day period. And, you know, they're just, they're fantastic festivals. Hey,
0: I, I would have to imagine, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, more mainstream pop and things like that. I, I would have to imagine that, that, you know, ratings juggernauts like, you know, The Voice or American Idol would have, you know, had a dampening impact, too, I guess, at least to some extent.
1: Well, you know, yeah, something like The Voice or American Idol is so far away from, you know, anything that has to do with metal. You know, if you look at the bands that are huge in Europe, bands like Accept or Megadeth or even Alice Cooper is still huge in Europe uh, and considered metal. So, uh, you know, things like Motorhead, Scorpions, Judas Priest. Judas Priest had a massive resurgence in Europe with their last album, Firepower. And, and so it's it's just an interesting, it is definitely a different market. And I don't know why. I, I don't know if it's just the, the control of the media. Like, I don't know if it's, there's certain record companies or media companies that just don't want to have anything to do with that style of music in the United States. If I had to make a guess I would guess that that's what it is you know they don't want to they don't want to deal with that kind of music.
0: Uh, now I, I just sort of wanted to take a, a bit of a sidestep like a, a you mentioned also that you were working on some movies as well uh, I guess what kind of sound work are you doing on uh, for the film business?
1: Well in the film business uh, I've been doing quite a bit of I mean i guess wearing a lot of different hats I'll do things in terms of you know, almost everything, five, five, one, surround sound mixing, I'll do Foley, which is where you put in sound effects and you put in, um, for instance, we're working on an animated film where every sound in there, whether it's a door opening or somebody puts something down or a car starts or there's birds in the background, you have to put in every single sound effect. So um, that's called Foley. And we've done that. I mean, I've done scoring for music movies as well. And and that's another thing that we're working on uh, for the animated movie, where I'm actually doing some scoring and writing and for the actual soundtrack, which is really kind of fun. And, and it's, it's a little bit of a, it was a little bit of a stretch for me, but now I feel like I'm very comfortable with it. Uh, but it's something that um, definitely, I would say developed some new skills so it's been a lot of fun. No, and
0: that's not something that we've, we've talked about in the, in the previous interviews. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go there a little bit, but but uh, sure. it, it sounds like you're you're enjoying the composing angle of it, right? And that, that, that's- Yeah, fun. I really am because, <laughs> because
1: it gets into, you know, instead of just writing, you know, like pop music or you're writing like a metal song or whatever, you're actually writing orchestration and you can use a lot of the skills. I think one of my skills, is coming up with very good melodies and when you look at how like an orchestra is composed it's a lot of you know the instruments in general they don't play chords they play single notes so whether you're you're working with the woodwinds or the strings um, it's it's very interesting because you're creating chords with the individual instruments um, but but when you're writing, you're really writing largely based on the melody. And that's something that for me has been really a strong point for my, you know, over my writing career. That's something that I've had a real easy time with is melody. And that that really lends itself well um, to mo- movie scoring from from my experience. So it's been something right. that it's sort of a new skill, but I, would say I was very well. Trained for it, uh, I guess is what I would, what I, what I would say, and uh, it's something that I'm really having a great time
0: with. So, in terms of you know some of the music production work that you've done for for other people, I I guess what are some of the things that you look for when you listen to a new recording for the first time?
1: Well, for me, the audio fidelity, the quality of the audio, is always kind of important, and I always think back to one of my favorite albums, uh, over the last 20 years, uh, was a band called the killers and, uh, their first album. I'm trying to remember what the name of it was, but, but it was all their demos. You know, it was basically their demos that turned into an album and sold millions of records. And I used to love that album, but the production was a little rough for me to actually listen to. So, uh, I hate to say I'm like an audio snob to some degree, but, but it really does kind of affect your impression of the album. So one of the first things that, you know, when I'm listening to a record, I'm always excited and interested in the actual production quality. You know, how does it sound? Do I, are the instruments pleasing? Do I like the mix? Like all of these things are really important. And sometimes even if I love the song, if the mix is horrible or there's some glaring error in the production, sometimes it's tough for me to get past that. So I, I listen to everything. But I think I do probably listen maybe a little more than the average person does to things like sonic fidelity and and musicianship and, and that type of, you know, some of the technical components that go into music production.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, at your level, you're, I mean, you're more than entitled to an opinion along that lines, right? Because you know what to look for. It's its like anybody else, you know, I would equate that to a chef that, that knows to look for certain flavors as opposed to others, right? And whether they balance properly or not.
1: Well, it's kind of a blessing and a, a little bit of a curse, too. And I'll give you a funny example. One time I was in the tub and I was listening to an album and my eyes were closed and I was probably half asleep sitting in the tub and my wife comes in and she goes oh I love this song and and I'm half asleep and I, the first thing that came out of my mouth were vocals are too loud in the mix so, <laughs> so, so, so even though I'm half asleep in the bathtub I'm analyzing the production and the mix of the of the album that I'm halfway you know comatose listening to so uh, on one hand it's it's a blessing on the other hand you know you wish sometimes you could just turn it off <laughs>
0: No, and I mean, I I know what that's like, too. I mean, you know, because I've I've watched so many movies and, you know, people walk out of there and go, geez, you know, that was great. And then I I say, yeah, but you know what? This character said this and they didn't mean that. And and I I can shoot it to hell in a matter of about five minutes. And I I, like you, I can't turn it off. You know, You, you just at some point you become hardwired to it, I think.
1: Right. Well, that's, that's funny that you brought up movies because I, I, I'm a little bit the same way with movies, too, where we'll be watching something and the chase scene comes on. And I always joke with my wife. I always look at her and I go, what is this kind of scene called again? Because literally, like, almost every single movie you watch has a chase scene at some point. So, right. It's just funny, you know. It's it's like you you can't help but notice the commonalities, and like you said, sometimes when things are wrong, it's it's hard to overlook them. Uh,
0: so I, I guess who are some of the uh, the favorite discoveries that you've made recently? I go, you know, what kinds of things are you listening to?
1: Well, I'd say you know some of the things I'm listening to, um, <laughs> as far as for for enjoyment. If I'm going to be 100 percent honest, I haven't had much time to really listen to anything for enjoyment lately, just because we've been really heavily involved in the production of the movie, as well as the Flotsam and Jetsam album and and starting work on a Fifth Angel record. So my attention's really been focused on writing and um, I really haven't had time to really listen to much other than the music that I'm working on when you're working on music you know, seven or eight hours a day, you, you, you tend to not listen to it for enjoyment. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Uh, and, uh, I, I want to get in a mention too, for the, uh, for the other group that you're working with VSR, uh, cause I know this is something else that you're proud of.
1: Sure. Well, you know, we, we had, uh, an interesting, you know, we, we we've had that, that's kind of on the, on the way out, I guess, in terms of, sort of uh what I would say we downsized substantially just as a okay. as right. a for the market um it's it's still active of course and uh we still will be putting out product but we have scaled back a little bit and I think that's largely because you know really for any label right now it is very difficult we you know we sort of cut our teeth and and existed based on album sales and nowadays with streaming and spotify and pandora and youtube um as you probably know people do not tend to to purchase music anymore and streams just pay too small of an amount like the amount that you get paid for streams is so minuscule that it's really not even you know it's almost not worth talking about but because of that, um, I think a lot of labels have had to kind of scale back their operations. Not just us, but I think overall in the industry. But uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of something that's going on. I think everybody has to recognize that music is more or less free at this point. Um, certainly, the artists have to recognize that. The labels have to recognize that. And that's you know I think people do realize that, and that's why you see so many people touring. So um, speaking of that this virus, you know, the COVID-19 really is, is going to hurt. I think, well, you know, the industry in a, in a maybe more severe way than other industries, just because the, the record industry itself was already not super profitable. And now you, you put on top of that live performance, you know, being completely wiped out for, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe as many as you know, nine months to a year, we don't know. I mean, we'll see, we have things scheduled in January and we'll, of two thousand and twenty-one, but we'll see if you know everything's opened up enough to the point where you can go out and perform in front of thousands of people and not have any risk.
0: Well, and you know, to extrapolate on your point, it kind of flows downstream a little bit too, in the sense that it also affects merchandising, right? You know. Oh
1: yeah, to, to, absolutely. I mean, people, you, you sell a, a tremendous amount more merchandise when you're out there touring. So if you're not touring, You know, you're not getting the performance revenue and you're not getting your merchandise. So I think on a lot of artists, um, this is going to be a a very difficult time, I would think. I mean, obviously, if you have if you're a high level artist and you're worth millions and millions of dollars, that's probably not going to impact you. But if you're, you know, one of the newer artists or you're coming up and you're just starting to, you know, be able to um, support yourself within the industry, this is going to be a really tough time.
0: So, so, what advice do you have for for somebody that that's in the thick of it now and on the front lines, uh, in in terms of you know a creative type? I, I I guess how do you stay busy and and how do you keep marketing yourself? Effectively?
1: Well, I think of course everybody knows about social networking. I think you you certainly have to put an emphasis there and try and maintain contact with your fans. I mean, that would really be my advice is to continue to market your product, continue to to market albums, continue to market merchandise. You know, realize it's going to be a little tougher doing those kinds of things online as opposed to in a live environment. But, of course, you do want to try to keep your fan base intact. And and, uh, to that effect, you have to try and promote yourself as best you can without actually performing.
0: I, and to that extent, I'm, you know, um, as kind of a closing thought here, I, I guess. What have you got that you want to promote? I mean, is there anything upcoming that you, that you want to make mention of that, that uh, people should be aware of?
1: Well, uh, so of course, let's. You know, we've talked a little bit about the Flotsam album, the Fifth Angel album, and, and I think people can look for those in early 2021. Um, so they're, they're, they're not going to remember by the time, you know, <laughs> anybody who listens to this interview, I doubt will remember it that far into the future. But certainly those are the kind of things that we're working on. And um, the animated movie we're working on is a movie called Two Pennies, and I'm sure that'll be out probably in 2021 as well. So, you know, if everybody wants to keep their eye out for that kind of thing, uh, that would be appreciated.
0: And, uh, just in terms of your websites, uh, you know, is there any particular place that you want to uh, direct people to?
1: Nope. I mean, really probably just a Ken K Mary Facebook page. I mean, that, that and the Instagram account is probably where I interact with people the most. So if anybody, you know, has comments or suggestions or whatever is just a fan of the different artists that I've worked with or whatever, they usually can contact me through there without any problems. So, um, that's that's probably where i would direct most of the traffic is just to instagram and facebook well
0: Ken, what can i tell you it's been great fun catching up with you and uh you know it's always great to have you on here and, and uh, it's been a long time and you know i'm glad that we were able to make it work and if there's anything i can do to help you i want you to let me know all right
1: well thanks so much casey it's always great speaking with you as well and i uh, look forward to seeing you again soon uh
0: great so that's, that's uh we've been talking with ken mary uh about all various projects that he's been working on i'm going to be posting links for those as well uh, i'm going to be back next sunday uh roughly the same time i've got uh a couple of uh actors from the film who wants dessert that's being produced by another friend of mine uh calvin vanderbeek so we're going to be doing that next week so again a lot more great cutting room floor on the way so again with a thank you to laurie george uh and my guest today ken mary and melissa casey ryan on the cutting room floor we'll talk to you next week stay safe cut print wrap and i am done